Welcome to The Divorce Podcast, a podcast that aims to address divorce, separation and co-parenting here in the UK, countering the often sensationalist way it's portrayed in the media, challenging the status quo and driving for reform. On each episode, I'm joined by experts to discuss divorce, separation and co-parenting from different angles and to give their opinions and to debate them. I'm Kate Daly, a relationship counsellor and divorce coach, co-founder of Amicable and host of the Divorce Podcast. This episode is all about the beginning of a separation, the difficult bit when you realise it's over, but you don't yet know what to do next. I'm joined by two counsellors from Relate, Dee Holmes and Peter Saddington. Dee has worked for Relate since 1997 and trained as a couple counsellor initially and then as a family, young persons and children's counsellor. Dee's worked in schools and colleges delivering counselling and has often heard and seen the effect of parental conflict around separation and the impact it has on young people. Dee's current role is part of a team that oversees the clinical governance in Relate. She's also the clinical lead for safeguarding and the lead for children and young people at Relate. Peter is an experienced relationship counsellor and sex therapist who's also got experience in family counselling and addiction therapy. Peter's worked for Relate since 1994 and works with couples and individuals who are going through separation as well as counselling people through rebuilding their relationships. Peter's clients can be aged anything from 16 to 93. Relate are known as the relationship people, specialising in counselling for every type of relationship difficulty, including marriage counselling, LGBT issues, divorce and parenting. Welcome to you both. Thank you and to you. Yes, thank you. Nice to be here. Well, I'm delighted that you can join me to talk about this really difficult part of a relationship breakdown. That first moment when you decide that it's over and that you want to separate and I wonder if I could come to you first, Dee. What do you think the signs are that you're emotionally ready to move on and to separate? I think that it, it's, it's interesting to say about it. It's a journey, I think, that people go on. And often when we see couples come to us, one of them might already be quite a way down that, that road. And they already have sort of recognised they're at that, that place. They're, they're no longer thinking there's a relationship they want to save. They're looking outside of it. And that's perhaps the first sign to people that that they know that there's something beyond this relationship that they want to get to. Because I think a lot of people stay stuck for a long time in an unhealthy, unhappy relationship, but actually feel quite powerless to do anything about it. And Peter, what happens when you've got one person who's at that place and has decided something's over and then the other person perhaps isn't there yet? I know, and that, that's what makes it really difficult and I suppose makes it a more complex thing that we offer. We offer couple counselling, whereas for many people, when they go to a counsellor, it's just as individuals. So it's that very complex nature of one person saying, I think it's over or I'm ready for moving on or even I found somebody else and the other person trying to come to terms with that. And, and so quite often what I experience is people in shock. You know, I can't believe that you're, you're saying the relationship's over finding it really hard to accept. And you know, one of the, one of the significant things when, when your attachment, your closest relationship is coming to an end, is that sense of feeling bereft or, or not knowing what to do. So quite often it's trying to help one person just talk about or try and accept that something fundamental in their life is changing. 
And is there anything you can do as that partner, Dee, then if you're the person who's perhaps decided that the relationship's over, you might have been thinking about it for some time before you actually vocalize that. Is there anything as that person you can do to be a, a, a better breaker-upper, if you like? I think that's often the, the, the sad thing, that people are pretty stuck at that, that stage because I think they feel very much that if they engage quite emotionally with that, that partner that they're wanting to leave, that that might give the wrong signal, you know, that there's yeah. the hope that actually things will stay okay. And so they often, I think, do withdraw or can be, you know, quite quite cruel in some ways, you know, not necessarily deliberately, but because that feels like the way they have to disengage from the relationship. So I think it is is difficult. I suppose the real sadness that we often see is that sometimes people come to relate and they then launch that sort of thing, as Peter said, you know, I'm, I'm ready to leave this relationship. I found someone else in the counselling room. And the other person, as Peter said, is quite shocked because they thought they were coming to sort out a few little problems in the relationship. And so I, I suppose it goes back further. I, I think it's probably about honest communication isn't it way back and people being able to flag things earlier and say this feels like it's not going well but I think that often people think they've got a blip in their relationship and don't recognize that the blip is actually a downward spiral and as we say I often think it's like a a journey I often say to people you know you're here at the start of the journey you've just got in the car but your your partner's already at the service station Mm. halfway up the M6 you know that they're they're out of here sort of thing and perhaps not as abruptly as that but you know that that is you know quite a difficult place for people to be I think. It was interesting what you just said then about the idea that the communication sometimes has already broken down and that people are perhaps not in a good place. Peter, if you recognise that, if you're listening to this and you recognise that you're not in a good place, what can you do to open up that dialogue with your partner when actually probably all you want to do is just try and ignore it, just feel it's a phase and it will, you know, come back on track and not to worry about it. So how do you get the courage and what do you say to confront something when you think you've got that niggling feeling, this isn't right? Yeah, it, it's a tricky one. And, and partly what Dee was saying is very common in couple relationships where one's further on and, and one isn't. And quite often that it, it provokes some anger. So sometimes it, the, the energy to do something comes from anger, not understanding or, or feeling that, um, that you didn't take it seriously. You talked about problems in the relationships, but you didn't take it seriously. And now we're at this crisis point and I want to work at it. You're saying it's too late. So it, it's that sense of and we need to do something. And as Dee was talking about, it really essentially comes down to talking about it, being able to talk about it, and more importantly, be able to listen, to listen and understand what your partner's saying, to really understand, actually, I can't do this, or I'm really struggling with this. Because when we talk about communication, people can talk and people can listen, but it's the active listening and empathizing, understanding where your partner's coming from. Because if you really do get what's happening, then you're more likely to change your behavior or do something different or put more effort into trying to change. So, you know, the most important thing is talk up, 
and um, set the scene, you know, rather than just um, a passing comment or trying to do it last thing at night. Have the conversation when you know the other person can concentrate on what you're saying. Explain the seriousness of it. I need you to be able to sit and listen. I don't want to do it when the children are around or, you know, in between something. Set aside time properly to be able to talk about it. Gondi? Well, I think that's very true. I was thinking about how the, and I'm sure it's happened to, to all of us here, the amount of times you are talking with a couple and one of them says something and the other one says, well, you've never said that before. And they say, yes, I have. I've been saying it for the last, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. And I think, you know, what, what Peter said that is very true. People may make a passing comment and the other person just doesn't really pick it up. And there's a sort of denial on both sides, a denial from the person saying it. Well, I said it, you know, it's not my fault they didn't pick it up. And the person who didn't pick it up sort of denying that they heard that comment almost because, it, oh, it was just a flippant comment. So I think it is that proper conversation people have to have. And, and that's why I suppose seeking counselling early on is really important because the power of hearing your partner say something to the counsellor describing the problem is quite powerful for people somehow they're sort of looking and watching that happening and thinking gosh I can hear my partner saying the problems and I'm really listening to them whereas when they're saying them to me I'm just quickly thinking of my response to them Mm. Um, well it maybe it feels more of an attack doesn't it when you're having that dialogue face to face when you've got the counsellor in the room you've got a channel for to be able to say things in a much more neutral way and as you say for them to be heard what happens then? So let's let's put the boot on the other foot. So let's say you're listening to this and you're the person whose partner has announced that, you know, for them the relationship is over. You know you're in a different place. It is a shock to you. How can you catch up? Should you catch up? Peter, sorry. For most people, it's needing a bit of time to get over the shock. So you do need a bit of time. And and so although we're talking about couple counselling, sometimes there's real value in having a, a session, either talking to a counsellor, somebody that's going to be objective and listen to what you've got to say, or somebody that you're close to, just to try and clarify what you're thinking and feeling. Because in, in those early moments, you can inadvertently become angry, feel criticised, feel attacked. And so say things that actually just make the whole situation worse. So having a bit of time to really come to terms with what you're hearing and get clear in your head what is important to you. Is it that you do want to try and retrieve the, the relationship? Is it that you want to find a way of separating successfully? Because once the shock has settled, if the relationship really has been struggling, then you might be able to come to terms and accept actually maybe it is a good thing. It's, it's more that you're reacting to the shock of it and the, the fear of being on your own or not not seeing the children or not having the same things. It, you know, it's a huge knock to you. If you're the one that hasn't wanted the relationship to end, it's a huge knock to your self-esteem and it's a huge loss to, to you know how you see yourself in the world if you're the person that somebody is leaving. Yeah, and that, that crucial question that we get asked all the time, and I, I don't know whether it's the same for you, is, how much time is enough time? What's the difference between giving your partner reasonable amount of time to adjust to your announcement versus somebody being stuck and refusing to move on? Do you, I don't know whether you have a, a view on that. Yeah, and I think that is a tricky one, isn't it? And and I think we see people who, you know, as you said, going back to the person who's breaking up with the, with the person, they may feel a lot of guilt and want to give that person a lot of time. And then, you know, then they could become frustrated with, with that 
waiting because they're ready to move on. And likewise, that guilt can often come out as anger. You know, you can sort of start to project that anger on the other person because they're the block to you going on. And I, I think it, it's it's like a grief process, isn't it? And I mean, we go through those stages, you know, that sort of shock, that anger, the pain, the you know, the, the acceptance, etc. And I think as with any grieving process when there's a loss, you know, it's not a sort of linear line. It doesn't start here on one day and end here six months later. I think people fluctuate and go up and down and along it and back. So, and I suppose, you know, on one level, we often talk, don't we, about grief when there's been a loss and a death, that it, it, you know, you go through all those first anniversaries. So I think those can be triggers, can't they? Someone could be accepting this separation and then Christmas comes along and that's a real trigger of what they've lost and the family Christmas and it could take things back a little Mm. way. I think that's important, isn't it? I think people do we do, don't we, tend to see a, a sort of just a progression, a nice linear progression. And you're right, there are lots of things. Even when we're helping people with the divorce process, there'll be points in that process that knock people right back. And they need a bit of time to recover and just a little bit of space on their own to get their heads around that particular stage. A piece of paper comes or a next stage is reached. And it can be very traumatizing, re-traumatizing for people. So I think it is really important to get across this idea that it's not just a you move on, you move on and suddenly you're ready. When you said that about re-traumatising, I suppose what also comes into that is other people's experience, you know, people's experiences part in the past. You know, if they've had other relationships end, if they've been left before, you know, if this isn't the first time, that would be re-triggering that as well, I think, for some people. But I also think it's good to to recognise it is a transitionary period. What you're feeling now doesn't necessarily mean that's how you're going to feel in a week, six weeks, two years time. You know, your feelings will change. This is how you're feeling now, but it can be different. And using, like Dee was saying, past experiences of, you know, when something's ended or changed, you know, that that you've always moved on. So I think that can be sometimes helpful for both sides to recognise, like Dee was talking about, you know, the journey. If you're ahead in the journey, having that concept to say my partner needs to catch up, get to the service station, gives you a sense of I, I understand what's going on rather than thinking they're just being obstinate or difficult. And equally for the person that is a long way back, recognizing that if if the other person's at the service station, you know, maybe, maybe things have been going on. It makes sense about why they're further ahead and, and they don't need the same things that they're looking for. As counsellors, are there things you, you listen out for to indicate somebody is emotionally ready to, say, start a divorce process or start that separation process, moving out the house, you know, moving their lives on? Are there... I don't know, are there, are there phrases people use or do people say certain things that indicate a level of readiness? What are they thinking, feeling, saying, doing? Dee? Gosh, yes, that's a tricky one. I was thinking more that often it's what you see, isn't it? And I suppose the, the affair is perhaps a, a, a quite a good indication of that, isn't it? And I mean, it doesn't mean that every couple who come where there's been an affair, their relationship is going to end. For a lot of people, it can be a sort of shock of things are going awry. This happened. We we don't. This was isn't what I want. I've ended the affair, and I want to repair the damage in the relationship, and we want to move on together. So I'm not saying that's always the case, but for some people, that's quite a significant thing that they have chosen to start an emotional attachment outside of that that core relationship. 
and whether that's an affair they're going to leave the person for or whether it's a sort of transitionary affair that can then show that they're actually already they're not staying in this relationship so I think that's probably the key physical thing we see I suppose when you say what people say I mean again we'll often get people who very much are moving around I'm not sure what I want I think I want this relationship to improve but I'm not sure that it can and and there's lots of sort of conflicting things being said and as a counsellor you can yourself sometimes think well last week I was sure this couple were working on the relationship this week it sounds like they're they're ending it or he she is ending it so I, I suppose it's listening out and you that gives you a clue that I think it's sometimes people aren't being honest with themselves and also they're scared of being honest with their partner so there's but maybe when people are doing that sort of moving back and forth that it gives you a clue that that's what's on their mind but they're perhaps not quite ready to say it yet so you're saying you see a sense of of like people sort of going forward and then just hesitating and moving back but there's a sort of a a toing and froing of is it on is it off that's a signal that things are coming to a head in some way well i'd say it's more ambivalence i think i want to leave but you know actually it's it's a big thing to break up the home especially if you've got children especially if families are connected you know all sorts of things could be tied in. So the, the sense is I do want to move on, but but the the thought of actually that the practicalities, the reality of it, now that I'm talking about it, can be a bit overwhelming. So a level of ambivalence, but as counsellors, we need to know what we're working with. So actually, I think we're good at, at helping clients to establish a focus to, to the work. And sometimes that focus is, we want to spend a bit of time just working out, is it possible to retrieve save the relationship or actually do we need to work at ending it and maybe we have a few sessions to just look is there any chance before we actually make the big commitment to say okay now we need help in how we separate and in that scenario then where you've examined whether or not it's retrievable and one person has decided it is not what sort of things can the other person do how do you help the other person to come to terms with a decision that isn't theirs peter well, in a sense, they haven't got a choice. You know, the, the, the power balance has changed in the relationship. If one person is saying adamantly, I am leaving, you, you can't change that. And so it, it's about acceptance and, and, and starting to find a way of, you know, I can see, so back again, it's back to active listening and thinking about it. I can see how painful it is. I can see it's difficult, but it is going to happen you can make the situation work better for yourself and especially for the children if you can if if they have got children that can sometimes be the way that you can start putting your own feelings to one side because you you accept that the children need a different approach that whole idea of you know if if your children were listening into this conversation what would they want you to be doing you know if in you know 2 years time you look back at this what would you want it to have happened helping people to see past the initial pain you know if you're still in a lot of pain and you're angry and upset you need a bit of time to get over the shock and used to it and then you might be able to move on yes it's interesting isn't it because you bring us right back to the context of this this isn't happening just in a therapy room is it even if you're lucky enough to be going to uh, you know a service like relate it's happening in the home as well when you leave the therapy room your children if you have children are bearing witness to the the breakup of the relationship sometimes Dean, you've worked with children a lot what do children say about this time i think that that is a 
you know, often there's a lot of confusion. And one of the things that the adults have to remember, and it's something I'm sure we all say to, to adults in this situation, you've got to think about how you, you tell everyone else, you know, how you tell your children, how you tell your wider family. And it is important that they have a sort of, you know, a united front to some extent, which can be quite difficult when one person's feeling the injured party. So I think, you know, it is talking to the adults about, well, how would you, you know, how do you want your children to remember this time? And sometimes people have experienced it themselves when their parents broke up. So you can often get them to connect with, gosh, yes, I want this to be different. And I think that's the thing. I think children sense something's wrong long before, you know, the adults. I mean, the amount of, you know, couples who will say, oh, no, the children have no idea there's anything going on. And of course they do. You know, So I think it is important to tell them as, as soon as you have made a decision and also to not be worried about things you can't answer because they're going to ask lots of questions, you know, like, are we going to move house or school or what will happen? And sometimes... We don't know the answers yet. You know, things will evolve. So don't always wait till you know all the answers before you you sort of tell the children. You've got to start that conversation, really, that this is going to be happening and we're we're on this sort of journey. So, yeah, I think a lot of confusion. And I think often I've seen young people who have talked a lot about how they felt very much in the middle and felt they've had to make choices. And, you know, I think that's a really tricky balance because I think parents need to involve children in some of the the choices you know but it's not their responsibility and I think you you either get one of two things happening children who feel they have no choice you know you're doing this you're doing that or children who are being said oh would you like choose who you want to live with which isn't isn't the sort of choice that a child wants the child wants to live with both of you that's what they want you know so I think yeah confusion and not knowing and hearing from other people is a, is a really common one, you know, that the parents have told their friends or they've, t- and then some of their friends have talked about it at home and then their children have heard and come into school and said, I hear your mum and dad are splitting up or I hear your dad's had an affair or something, you know, that's, that's really not a good one for it to happen. So I always caution people about making sure who they're talking to and that it's not going to leak back before they're ready for it to yeah, and it's 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 incredibly tough for people to know what to say and when to say it. You know, we do a lot of work with people, you know, trying to rehearse and practice what you're going to say and prepare for questions that children might answer. But but always it, it's you're trying to prepare people for the totally unknown. Every child's different. Every relationship's different. So it's just about trying to get some kind of basic rules in place and some guidelines, but without, you know, not appreciating that, all people's kids are different and we all have different relationships with our children. Is there a good time to tell the children? I mean, you, you've made it, Dee's sort of said, Peter, hasn't she, that it's important to tell before it gets out and about. But is there a is there a good time to tell children that you're separating in terms of where you are in the process? Well, I think the best time is when you, you're united as a couple about what, what you're wanting and how you're doing it. When, in a sense, the parents can hold on to their adult selves. They can have a, an adult conversation with their children as opposed to what leaks out is their anger or distress and, you know, all those things because you're dumping on your children your emotion. So, you know, having time together to work out what you want to say and when you're ready for doing it, I think is, is crucial. And, you know, I think one of the really unusual things about Relate is 
like I was saying, that the the ages of the people that I've worked with, you know, we've worked with people whose parents have divorced, you know, so we've got some concept of what it's like hearing from your parents that they're getting separated. So in a sense, we use some of the conversations, some of the narrative that we've had from other people to help, you know, couples that we're working with to think about what's important, what's the message that you want to get across. And for children, it's needing to know they've still got parents, they've still got that secure attachment. You will always be their parents, even if you as parents are not going to be together. And often what children really need to know is much more the practical things, like Dee was saying, where are we going to live? You know, who are we going to live with? And like Dee was saying, that it's not fair to put it on the children to make those decisions. You have to be the parent and you have to say, this is how it's working. Even if you don't know the answers, but you give them the sense of safety and security of knowing that they are still going to be okay. And I think one of the scary things for some children is, you know, it's not just losing a parent. It's not just losing the home that you've been used to, but you might actually be sharing your life with somebody else's children. You know, your your parent might be moving into another house where there are other children. So you, you're having to change everything. And you know, it, it's really making the adults, the parents think about what is going to happen to the children. So when you're describing and talking, being factual and clear as much as you can, even if it's, I don't know what's going to happen yet or the time frame, but this is what we're thinking is going to happen. Also, that's a really good point, isn't it? Because I think sometimes for some children, they go through the, the, the their parents' separation straight into a new reconstituted family. And for other children, their parents separate and they can become very much the focus of their parents' world then. And, you know, they can have, you know, the, the week with one, the weekend with the other, and it's totally about them and that one other adult. And they can actually benefit from that sometimes and feel they've got a much better relationship with each of their parents separately. And then, of course, if another person, another relationship starts and there are other children, that can then really affect it again. And I think that's something that I've certainly experienced, you know, hearing from children and young people that, you know, oh, well, my parents separated and that wasn't so bad. You know, it was great. And then my dad got married again. and Oh, I don't like my stepmother and they've had a baby and they like the baby more than me. And, you know, and I think people often for the adults, they're several years down the line, maybe, and they're not thinking necessarily that, you know, there is going to be you know, different experiences along the way. The journey continues, really, doesn't it, for, for children? And just has different consequences. You as adults have got some choices about what happened, but your children haven't. You know, they have to go along with what you're, what's going to happen, what decisions you're making. And, and that's the, the really hard thing, that, you know, children have much less choice. They have to live where parents are, are moving to. They have to live with whoever parents are going to be living with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you were saying before as well about the need to repeat the message, it's not just a, we tell them and then it's all done, but this is an evolving message as our lives evolve, isn't it? And as our, as we move on and, and do different things. We're sort of coming up to the end of time, but I just very briefly just wanted to ask you, because I, I understand that there's a there are some tools that Relate has to help with this early part of separation. Dee, is there, uh, I understand it's called a separation planner that Relate have? Just give us a little outline of what that is and, and what it, how it can help people. So we've got a sort of free online tool called the Separation Planner, which helps people who are starting to think about separation to, to plan it. I mean, it is what it says on the tin, I guess. So it's available on our website and it's something that parents can work together on or individuals can work at separately. So, you know, it's it's a useful thing for whichever 
you know, if you're a couple wanting to do it together or just an individual. So, yeah, go to our website and go to the Relate Separation Readiness tab and it will take you into it. That's great. Thank you. And Peter, are there any other tools, parenting plans and that kind of thing on Relate's site? There's a range of things that are there, but I guess a lot of these things are really useful, practical things. But I think the biggest thing is having somebody to talk it through with. So, you know, the idea of having a counselling session, and it's not saying you've got to have 50 counselling sessions, but sometimes a one-off or a couple of sessions just to try and work out where you are in the process and to make sense of what is essentially a tool piece of paper I mean it's not rocket science a lot of the things are there if you sat down and thought about it you'd think you'd come to your own things but having somebody to help you talk through it's the emotion that goes with it that's really important and having somebody else to help you through that I think does make a big difference brilliant and if people want to look at these tools where do they go to where do they find them so our website is www.relate.org.uk and then, as, as Peter said, there's plenty of, of different things on our website. You know, there's a sort of there's a search bar to find different bits. So, yeah, there's different articles and different um, things as well as the separation tool that's there. And people can book sessions on the website. They can live chat, can't they, as well? And We have a live chat service. You can't book a session via the website, but you can find the numbers of your nearest centre or find the number. And to call to book a session but yes also the live chat service which offers a half hour sort of chat with a counsellor via messaging which is again a good toe in the water if people want to just start a conversation yeah because sometimes it's that first step that's the hard bit isn't it I really like that about it so people can uh, find the number to the, for their local relate they can go online use the tools they can access live chat as well that's wonderful look it's been Fascinating talking to you both. Thank you so much for sharing those thoughts on the early parts of separation today. Really insightful and really useful just to run through the different emotions and the different ways to access help. So thank you. I'm really grateful. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. That's all we've got time for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Kate Daly. You can find me on Twitter at Kate underscore daily. And you can subscribe to more of these podcasts by going to thedivorcepodcast.com. Peter D from Relate, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye.